0: I would like to take a moment of silence uh, each of us in our own way, ask the God of our understanding to be here so that we can have an open mind, a new experience, fulfill that promise that where two or more gather in His name, uh, He will be there, and uh, then let's follow that with the serenity prayer. Thank you, serenity prayer. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I uh, am going to (laughs) move out here. I don't think you'll have any problem hearing me. Modulation has never been a problem of mine. I was laughing when he said dysfunctional family. A friend of mine used to say that uh, he came from a dysfunctional family. The reason it was dysfunctional is because he was in it. And I think that's true of a lot of alcoholics. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, my current experience and where I'm at. One of the things that almost killed me in Alcoholics Anonymous is telling you about when I used to come in here. And when I used to come in here. And when I used to come in here. And telling you about the results of an inventory I did three years ago. And trying to live a life off an inventory that my ego generated three years ago.
1: It almost killed me
0: nine years ago. Sober, I went into a psychiatric hospital. It's a nice name for an insane asylum. I was in there because of severe untreated alcoholism. Last six months, I got a chance to experience a little bit more of that. Started to get moved into a depression. (laughs) You know, it's the funny thing about speaking. When I speak anymore, all I talk about is my current experience. There's too many people I've seen speaking get real, real sick and a lot of them drink and then some of them commit suicide and do other things because they ask to speak a lot and all they talk about is an old experience they had. We end every meeting with, give me this day my daily bread. Where are you at today in seeking a spiritual experience? Because that's all it's about. Your body can't live off the food you ate a week ago. If you're sitting in this room trying to live off an experience of last week, let alone last year, you're living in an illusion much closer to a drink than you could ever imagine. So I'll bring you a little bit current. Last year, I was talking with my friend Troy. He and I sat down somewhere around July. We spent some time in the first step, and the truth is neither he nor I did much with that thereafter. What slowly began to happen for me last year, I'd also started a group four and a half years ago I call Steel on Steel that met once a month and that was included to myself, four men and women, and what that group allowed me to do is not get in self-delusion, and that group had stopped. And I look back, and what I see begin to happen is my self-will begin to come back and manifest. It's called reconstruction of the ego. You cannot beat it. You can't, your, your self-will cannot beat your self-will. You're up against something that is as powerful as God himself as far as you're concerned. Big Book says you better be convinced that any life run on self-will will not work, that only God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you from him. Your mind, trying to treat your mind, is ridiculous. If if my mind could treat my mind, I'd be a lot better off than what I am today. (laughs) So would you. My self-will would begin to come back, and basically when self-will comes back, you aren't making choices, you're being driven. A lot of people sitting in AA. And thinking because they're sober that they're making choices. Now if you believe that's true, you just go back to the last year of your life, look at some of the choices you made, and if you're like me, an idiot could have made better choices. Because behind those choices, you probably took some action that harmed you and harmed others, might have impacted you physically, emotionally, financially, in your career, and you think that's a choice? Look up the word driven. And I began to get driven last year, and basically what happened is I made some decisions between July and November that were extremely harmful to me in every single area of my life, financially, emotionally. uh, Tremendous heart pain. Tremendous suffering coming out of self-will. Beginning somewhere around, basically what I did is I was taken to a position where I couldn't even call people who loved me and cared about me, couldn't pick up the phone, wasn't going to meetings, doing prayer and meditation. Did, Did I wake up one day and say, you know, I think this is what I'll do? No, no, I didn't. And then somewhere around the middle of April, I was living in Motel 6 in Irving, Texas, I decided, let me tell you what self-will can do, right? <coughs> I decided that what I would do, I decided that what I would do, is I would quit this career I was in, leave these two dogs I love in this house, and what I'd do is I'd go over here and, and work construction and become a multi-millionaire. When I do theater of the lie, i do one of myself. You'll see the idiocy of that whole process. That was not a choice. That was driven by a state of being that I have, that says, I must have a lot of money to be okay. And, I was out working construction for a couple of months, there's nothing wrong working construction, in fact, that's the last place God wants me. <laughs> he has a sense of humor. Most of the time, I had a pickup, and, and I had three Hispanics with me, and they couldn't speak English, and I can't speak Spanish. So they, I teach them one word of Spanish. They teach me one word of English, or uh, the other way around. And anyhow, it was amazing. And, but I'm in this. I'm in this hotel. It's about the middle of April, and I, I just reached another place to surrender. And I took all my books and everything, and I just threw them aside and said, "Screw it, God, I quit." I, quit. I can't. I just quit. Within about an hour, the phone started ringing. I got a job offer. I go down to Austin, Austin's hard to find a place to live, and I'm driving into town, I'm going over to my friend Troy's to stay, and my intuition, that inner voice when you're connected, says, go down to Manchaca, come to a place called The Forest, go in here, go inside. Gosh, I just have a place that's available, the rent's paid up for a month and a half, you can stay the first month and a half free, you can move in today, coincidence, right? Driving a big truck. Don't need a truck for what I'm doing now. And went up to the dealer, and he said, "You know, I just got this other car in. I got a guy that's interested. Another coincidence." So I'm still going through a lot of emotional upheaval, a lot of pain in the heart. I put myself in a severe financial situation. So in that state, I I know enough. I know that what I better be doing is I better be doing some real serious work out of the big book. So I wrote a couple inventories with a minor review of the first three steps, did fifth steps, and then about six weeks ago, myself and Troy and a a man named Andy, Andy, Andy's got, uh, where's Andy? How many months you sober? Now some of you have been sober for a long time. This one's really gonna be hard for you. I was willing to do a fifth step with a guy five, six months sober? Why my God, he can't help me. The arrogance of that, right? And Troy, who's coming up on three years? Two and a half? We spent five hours on the first three steps, five hours. Current experience with step one. Not 14 and a half years ago, not October the 19th of 1982. Where was I six weeks ago today With step one, the hopelessness of step one. And we spent some time on step two and step three, and then we begin to write inventory with an agreed upon date for doing the fifth step. And Wednesday night in my house, over six hours, the three of us swapped fifth steps. And when you, when you do fifth steps, having a solid chain, a solid foundation in the first three steps, and you write that inventory and do a fifth step, you begin to disconnect from self-will and from ego. And we left that night and we were all exhausted, so the next day we spent that hour in review, answering all those questions. Was our work solid so far? Did I know God better because I was disconnected from self-will as a result of that experience? Were my stones properly in place? Was my work solid so far? My foundation. And then this time, I, then I went for a run, and while I was running, I knew I needed to do something, and I made a list of all the things in that inventory that were absolutely objectionable to me, that came from self-will. There were 69 specific items. Now, if I ask Andy and Troy how many were on their list, they'd say only 10 or 15 probably. But I've been doing this work and the longer you're sober, the more you better be experiencing how much you fall short in thought, word, and deed. But your ego will go take you just the other way. Righteousness kills long-term sobriety. Been around a long time to sponsor all these babies. Look at me. Hasn't made it amendment in years. Dying inside. The longer you do this work, I submit to you, you will experience how much more you fall short. That's called spiritual progress. That's called humility. And then I got down on my knees and I did the seven-step prayer and I said, God, take all of me, good and bad, so that I can be more useful to you. So this week our agreement is that we will make our eight-step list. We have our inventory we have written. We will make a list and we will pray and ask God to reveal any harm we have ever put out into the universe of any kind. Why? Because you will reap what you sow. I guarantee you, everyone sitting in this room has a bunch of harm you have put out in the universe, some of which you are aware of, that's corroding and eating you and robbing you of your energy, and you haven't made amends for those, and there are some beyond that that can come to you. My experience is if I don't clean that up, I will reap what I sow. That's why, because that's the way the universe works, that's why. And when we're done with that eight-step list, our agreement is we're going to have about six of us in the ninth step at the same time, and we're going to meet once a week, and we're going to be accountable to each other for about making those amends. I don't come from the school that, well, I'll make the amend when they show up in the elevator. When you were screwing them over, that isn't how it worked. You sought them out. Right? You didn't wait The guy guy that you owe money to, did you wait till he showed up in the elevator? No. You called him 19 times and ran down to him. When it comes time to amends, there's a line in the book, we hate this with amends. It says, I'm
1: going to go to the utmost
0: of my ability to make this amends. You don't don't think they meant the utmost of your ability. (laughs) You don't think they meant that, do you? (coughs) So currently, that's where I'm at. I live in Austin, Texas. That was interesting, too. I heard rumors I was living in about nine places at the same time. <clears throat> so currently that's where I am in seeking God currently prayer and meditation taking taken on a whole new dimension for me again because <clears throat> every time back through the work and again let me explain let me correct myself the work of Alcoholics Anonymous is sitting down taking someone through the big book that's the work of Alcoholics Anonymous the spiritual exercises the spiritual course of action is where I go through the steps So again, that's where I'm at. What I want to do here today is I want to bring all of you current, maybe experientially, with your first step. And maybe open you up to some things in the second step. And maybe have you consider some things in the third step. And then we're going to do that prayer. And then I want to do theater of the lie. And what's great about the theater of the lie is hopefully it will make you experience inventory. See, AA's questions are not to be answered or concluded about. They are to be experienced. Nobody's here today because you believe liquor would work for you. You drank a lot. You experience drinking We must experience God we must experience the steps but I fell into this This thing of you work one through nine and live in ten eleven and twelve Now that I can't find that in the book as a matter of fact, there's some interesting Sentences in the book that would be very contradictory to that one of them is the tenth step is where it gives you a strong warning, it's easy to let up the spiritual program of action. Well, at that point in time in the book, the spiritual program of action has been the first nine steps. There's another place where it's about progress and not perfection. None of us can maintain None of us can maintain this. Say they knew some things in that book that I had to have an experience with that I almost died sober by, that I wish I'd paid a little more attention to. So I have learned the valuable lesson of continually doing one through nine. I had a little period of time in AA where I tried to use steps four through nine to solve problems. And all you do when you do that is you create a new third column. You create yourself in your own image. Let's, let's say, for example, you're having problems in a relationship. None of you have ever had that problem. And so you write some inventory because maybe she left or he left. And so you see in the third column where you were a little selfie, self-seeking, dishonest, afraid. Without a solid review in the first three steps, here's all that's going to happen. You've now caught your ego and you say, well, I, you know, I was kind of a jerk and I was inconsiderate and I was this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop being that and I'm going to start being this. And you pull that shit off for about one month and then you're back to the old self again. <laughs> I did that once and I made the decision I needed to become celibate in almost a month. And I pulled that off eight months, and the woman walked in one day, and in five weeks, I married her. (laughs) I have experience with this. So, let's talk about, uh, I wanted to read a couple things I found that were most interesting. When you buy a new big book, on the fly page, there's a cover. Third paragraph down says, but the basic text, pages 1 through 164, remains unchanged. This is the AA message. The first 174 pages of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is the AA message. And if you're working with anyone, and you're sharing something outside of this, please do that, and please tell them that. Because this is the AA message, right? I want to read you something Bill Wilson wrote. There's these little booklets in of the Grapevine. What he's talking about is all these people that were coming into AA, and a lot of them would go back out and drink again, and he says, We cannot well contend ourselves with the view that all these recovery failures were entirely the fault of the newcomer. Perhaps a great many did not receive the kind amount of sponsorship that they so sorely needed. We did not communicate when we might have done so, so we AA's failed them. There are killing things going on in Alcoholics Anonymous. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you're a victim of the disease of alcoholism, if you do not have a revolutionary spiritual experience, you will die. That's what I mean. That is my experience. I work in the chemical dependency field. In the last three years alone, I know 40 men and women personally. Some of those men and women, I've listened to Fifth Steps, who are dead from alcoholism. So what do I mean when I say there's killing things going on in Alcoholics Anonymous? I mean that when somebody's in a meeting and they're new and they're a real alcoholic, and you want to help them, giving them your opinion on how to recover is a killing thing. That's what I mean. So maybe what we need to do is spend our time in the first 174 pages of the book, which is the AA message. You start start looking at statistics about this long-term sobriety and you watch what's happening. The number of people in this program who get sober or sober 10 years or more is infinitesimal. Almost non-existent. Why? Because a lot of what I want to talk about today, reconstruction of the ego, whereby you go through the steps maybe, once, maybe, you have a revolutionary spiritual experience. Well, there's a term in AA we, we use called pink cloud. My experience is what that is, is the glory of God you experience it. We use the term pink cloud. And we, in that state, what a state. How many of you experience that, the pink cloud? Ah. Wow. And what happens is ultimately that's only the beginning, and ultimately you stop doing that which created it to begin with. And now you're left with knowledge of a past experience trying to recapture and recapture. Troy kept talking about it, bringing up in his first year. See, I've discovered in AA, God will manifest through people, sometimes brand new people. And in Troy's first year, when he would speak the words of God, would come right out of him. So I got as close to him as I could. Then one day he realized it was happening, and then I got away from him. <laughs> but there comes a time when that when when that presence of that power begins to cease and we don't feel it anymore and it's more than feeling and at that point in time boy you better go to work and why does that happen? the big book says why because we're blocked from experiencing God because of self-will self-will has come back period, end of statement now here's the dilemma you're in you're being driven by self-will you're in self-delusion, don't think you're in self-will Self-delusion. Look at look at look. At what that means. You know, if four people tell you a duck, you, it's a duck, and you think it's an eagle, chances are it's a duck. That's why you got to have people. Or I got to have people around me who know how I'm wired. So when I start talking about something that's an eagle, and they're looking and saying, "You know, that's a, that guy's way out there." <laughs> they come up and say, "Troy caught me on the way down." I made a statement about I chose to choose to smoke, right? He said, you need to think about what you just said. That was a dumb thing coming from you. I said, you know what? You're right. I didn't even have to think about it. But what happens is the ego begins to come back. Again, I'm getting back to why don't people stay sober? There's a line in the big book that says, if I'm not happy and contented with my sobriety, I will drink again. And you know what? That's the truth. If I'm not happy and contented, so how do I stay happy and contented? I'll tell you how you stay happy contented. Self will must die and continually die over and over and over again. To then experience what it says in the tenth step, we've entered the world, the spirit, along this line we can do anything, the line of God's will. Peace. Peace. You know, page 50 is one of has got one of my most favorite paragraphs in the, in the, in the whole book. As a matter of fact, I want to read it. Because it's kind of a, a theme of a little bit of what I want to do today. Talks about, it's bottom of page 50, he says, Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. These men and women flatly declare, since they've come to believe in a power greater than themselves, step two, take a certain attitude toward that power, step three, do certain simple things, the rest of the steps. Listen to this promise. There's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. You don't think they mean a revolutionary change, do you? I mean, that's an interesting revolutionary. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found a new power. I want to talk to you today. I don't care how long you're sober. If you want to find a new power in your life, a new peace, 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 a state of being inside, peace, happiness, and a sense of direction flowed into them. Phew. Puts chill bumps on me. This happened soon after I wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Do you think they meant meet mean a few simple requirements? Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, sober, I added that word, they show the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life. I submit to every one of you, if you're sitting in this room and you're suffering from pain, guilt, financial problems, relationship problems, anything, you are making heavy going of your life. You are making heavy going of your life. You are making heavy going of your life. And that's the greatest statement I hope you'll ever hear from me. Because if it's anything outside of you, you're screwed. Because it's got to change for you to be at peace and have power and happiness in the sense of direction. We make heavy going of life. Life does not make heavy going of itself. Why do we do that? Because we're starting to live life in self-will. Life on life's terms and self-will is miserable. Leaving aside the drink question, I'm going to make an assumption we're all sober here. I mean, here's my question. After about five days, that's the most sober physically I'm ever going to get, I think, isn't it? Right? I mean, how sober can you get physically? Right? So leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living is so unsatisfactory. Living, life. Wow. They show how the change came over, and then they describe the essence of the change. The consciousness of the presence of God most important, fact of their life. That's why I keep doing the first nine steps over and over again to experience new power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. Because my self-will comes back and I begin to experience heavy going of life. I tell you, I am still dealing with what feels like a broken heart in many areas of my life. And do you know in the middle of that broken heart there is great peace within me? We all suffer many losses in recovery. You know that you can suffer a great loss and you can suffer with and for God with peace in your heart? You know that? If you're in self, well, you can't. That's why I keep going through the first nine steps over and over again. The most exciting thing going on in my life today is seeking true self, child of God, and what that means. There's nothing more exciting in my whole life. You know why? Because there ain't no end to it. See, if this is all there is then God is everything, There's more past here. There are dimensions available to us all we know nothing about. Dimensions of love, wonder, joy, being able to be a friend. We know nothing about. And the first nine steps, continually working with the first nine steps allow me to experience it. I love people at a level today I couldn't even conceive of a year ago. Self-will has to go in order for that to manifest itself. So let's talk about Step one. Most of you in this room have a sense of where step one's all about and where you find it in the book. You look at the physical craving from the doc's opinion to page 23. So when I go back into step one, we say a prayer that God set aside everything I think I know for an open mind and a new experience. Let me, by the way, let me comment on something. You all know the line in the big book, The Spiritual Life's Not a Theory, i Got to Live It. This is my experience in seeking God. Your opinion on an experience you've never had is useless to me. Here's what I mean. How many of you here have taken a piece of inventory and done multiple fifth steps with it? Raise your hand. Okay. So some of you have experience. The rest of you don't have a clue what could happen to you if you took a piece of inventory and read it to six people, do you? Right? Am I right? See, the spiritual life's not a theory i got to live it. So I have people call me all the time and say, well, what do you mean multiple fifth steps? Where is it in the book? Well, the big book says do fifth steps with person or persons. Oh, shoot. <laughs> and they'll want to give me their opinion. I'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Write the inventory, get five people, go do a fifth step with every one of them with the same inventory and call me. And every time they do, they go, oh, my God, I wish I'd have done this before. So the point I'm really trying to make, if I'm saying anything you don't have experience with, the best your ego can do is giving you an opinion, and it's not going to be a good one because it hasn't done it. And anything I haven't done, of course, I've got to disagree with you, don't I? There's an attitude on page 55 of the Big Book. It's an attitude I hope I have the rest of my life. You know what it says? It says, If I'm willing to lay aside prejudice, you look up the word prejudice, it means preconceived thought or opinion. If I'm willing to lay aside prejudice, think honestly, search deep within myself. It says, With this attitude, I cannot fail. Wow, that's a powerful promise. With this attitude, I cannot fail that tells me why I can't fail. The consciousness of my belief, my experience with God is sure to come to me. So that's what I would hope some of you would do today. Be willing to lay aside what you think you know. Your knowledge of your past experience. Don't judge an experience you've never had. Be open-minded. Get interested in yourself, your true self. Get interested in new power, new peace, happiness, sense, of direction. So we look at step one. We use a prayer. Where am I today with this phenomenon called craving my physical allergy to alcohol? What would happen to me if I took a drink of alcohol today? And you look at that again. Am I a real alcoholic? Don't kid kid yourself. (laughs) Very best 5-6% of real alcoholics who ever come to AA will ever die sober with any sense of peace in their heart. That's how fatal this illness is. I ain't talking about all the people that come into AA that are hard drinkers. I'm talking about real alcoholics. That's why the Big Book uses the term real alcoholics. Because they talk in the Big Book about a hard drinker, and a hard drinker looks just like an alcoholic, except for one big difference. It says a hard drinker has a habit. It would impair him physically or mentally. It would cause him to die a few years before his time, or her time. But there's one little difference between a hard drinker and a guy like me. Here's what it is. You give a hard drinker sufficient reason, they can stop or moderate. I had 9,000 reasons and couldn't stop, stay stopped, or moderate those of you laughing can understand because you're just like me. It's called identification. What about the real alcoholic at some point it loses control and I go back into my experience? And every single time I look at me and me taking a drink of alcohol today, here's what I come away with. I don't have a clue what would happen to me if I took a drink. I don't have a clue. Would I make it back? I don't know. I wouldn't say no because that limits limit the power of God. But the truth is I don't have a clue what would happen to me. And then I go to pages 23 to 43. That's where you look at a thing called the mind, because the big book says that our main problem centers in our mind rather than in our body. Long before we ever got to AA, every one of us was separated from alcohol for various periods of time, but we had a mind that took us back to alcohol. Why would somebody 12 years sober pick up a drink, 17 years sober pick up a drink, 2 years sober pick up a drink? The main problem centers in the mind, because the mind tells them to go pick up a drink pages 23 to 43 describe seven states of mind, seven or eight states of mind, that take me back to a drink. And when you see the truth of these states of mind, you're going to get a little uncomfortable. Here's one of them. You've lost the power of choice in drink. I said, meetings. I still hear this. I got up this morning, chose not to drink alcohol. What in the hell are you doing in AA? Are you a fool? around this awful bunch of people talking one time this lady talked about what wonderful charming people alcoholics were I said you've been dropped on your head (laughs) we're the most healthy self-seeking group of human beings on the planet we are people of the lie I just choose not to drink If I'm a real alcoholic I've lost the power of choice in drink here's another state of mind no mental defense what do you think they meant by that and they give a stupid example, the guy burned his hand in the stove, right? I say, and I'll say to people, well, let me ask you, do you ever burn yourself? In-? Yeah. Well, if you walk by the stove and the burner was on high, would you put your hand on there? No, you're a fool. I said, well, why? He said, because I did that once, it really hurt. I said, and that's right, you have a mental defense, you'll never do it again, will you? No. I said, well, pretend the stove is alcohol. We're the kind of people, both arms, both legs are gone, I'm saying, put me up there, it won't burn me. <laughs> That's called no mental defense. <laughs> and the book says here's your problem, Mark. You don't know what the day looks like when you will have it. Whoa. Why do you think people go back after 12 years, 17 years, 31 years? Because there came a time when they had no mental defense. That's why. Here's another state of consciousness that parallel with my sound reasoning, there ran some trivial, insane reason for taking a drink. She left, she stayed. <laughs> I got fired, I got the job. I got money, I don't have money. My sponsor died, my sponsor's alive. (laughs) I don't feel good, I feel good. It doesn't matter. It's insane, right? It's like it's like this arm's gone and I go six years and I haven't doctor has to see me because I put my hand on the burner. One day I put it on again, I walk in, he said, Why'd you do that? I said, Well, my girlfriend hollered at me. He would say, that's a somewhat insenial, trivial reason to put your hand on the stove, Mark. That's another state of mind that we get into. Here's another state of mind. It's called suddenly. You know the line in the book, Suddenly, the Thought Crossed Jim's Mind. He liked to mix whiskey with milk. If I knew what suddenly looked like, I'd call Gus and say, Gus, in two hours, suddenly he's going to come on me. Talk me out of a drink. That ain't the way it happens. Suddenly, give me the liquor. (laughs) I mean, there's not a cloud in your eyes. I mean, my life is going great. And I can take a drink. You get done experience 23 through 43, and here's what you get real clear on. It sums it up at the bottom of page 43.
1: Once more,
0: the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Length of time in the program, work you've done in the past, there is no effective mental defense. My defense must come from a power greater myself. When Troy and Andy and I went through the work six weeks ago, in the last six months, based on some of the pain that I was in, I should have been drunk 50 times. And I was sitting there sober that night, and it had nothing to do with me. Man, you think that don't produce a little tension? I don't care how long you're sober. If you're not looking at this, you're so close to a drink, it's incredible. It's incredible. What's my current experience with step one? Not back in 1982, right? It's like trying to tell you about a prime rib meal I had back then and how great it was, right? And then we get into page 52, the unmanageability of our life. A condition that exists inside. And they describe page 52. So let's all get current with your own life. Here's what it starts out with. It says we're having trouble in personal relationships. So as you sit here right now, begin to think about the one you're having with yourself and then everyone around you. How is it with the husband, the wife, with your group, with your friends, your male friends, your female friends. Personal relationships. How is it relationship? I have relationships with everything. My automobile, the bed I sleep in. How is it with all those? Produce a little tension in some of you? Cannot control my emotional nature. What's he mean by that? Oh, I mean, do you ever have up and down days? <laughs> We're off the charts, Right? Prey to misery and depression. See, I never knew this. When I'm in self-will, the external world owns me. So something happens in my external world, and my emotional nature goes all over the page. And something happens in my external world, and I become a prey to misery and depression. When you're in self-will, your external world owns you. you can't make a living doesn't mean we can't earn money. Make a life. What's your life like? The time you get up till the time you go to bed. What's your life like? Full of fear. What's he mean by that? <laughs> Y'all know what I mean. The vulture sitting on the end of the bed. Hi, Mark. I'm glad you got up. <laughs> I've been waiting to talk to you. You're going to fail at that job. No one likes you. You're going to die an old, bitter man. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're in the shower. and It's just the fear. You are getting your car you're going to work and you're just fear, fear, you're walking into the meeting and you've got to talk to people and you know how you do. Ah, I'm doing great! You know, and they call on you and you pontificate about some experience you had 19 years ago. <laughs> Get in your car and you're still just back full of fear, right? goes on to say we're useless. Whew, useless. God, I have worked with some of the most successful men and women that you could ever believe and inside you feel useless. I gave an exercise, I sponsored a woman, a wonderful woman, 31 years sober. Started working with her, she was 29 years sober. She, Her ego had taken her to a place, she was sponsoring all kinds of women and speaking all the time and doing steps, and take her to a place where nobody in AA knew she was dying of untreated alcoholism, and she was faced with taking a bottle of pills to commit suicide, and no one, no one would have known this. Or she had confiscated one of my tapes that one of her... Babies had because she determined what they listened to and she took it from her. <laughs> she put the tape in, and I talked about almost dying of untreated alcoholism for nine years, and she called me. And she's been she's gone through the first nine steps. She's on her fifth time in two years. You wouldn't believe this woman. You wouldn't believe her. She's like a little girl now. Incredible change But feeling useless inside, but I gave her an exercise a month ago, it almost killed her. And here's what it was. This I can't tell you the number of people who love this woman. And the exercise was I want you to go up to 10 people and I want you to say to them, Tell me how you perceive me and how you feel about me. She got so uncomfortable, she almost came out of her skin. You see, this program is about me getting as comfortable inside so that when you tell me I love you, I know that in here. And when I'm self-willed, I am self will i can not get to that state. So I feel useless. Can't be of help to other people. And I get current as I am today with all of that and see what that does is produce a lot of tension and I come to I come face to face with something that without God I'm lost without God I'm lost 14 and a half years sober and I'm sitting there looking at page 52 <laughs> and I'm taking a look at how I've been doing with God's power and grace up to that point in time and now I come to my second step lack of power that's my dilemma I need new power peace happiness sense of direction so in my second step you know the first time through Am I willing to believe there's a power greater than myself? That was a a tough one for me because I was pretty much an atheist. So i like to add to that. Do I I believe, am I willing to believe, there's a power greater than myself that can take me past here, past this block of my knowledge, beliefs, and past experiences, past here, into dimensions I know nothing about? Am I willing to believe that? And a little bit further, am I willing to choose to make that God everything? Because here's a self-imposed crisis we're faced with is we're here, we can't go past here. Am I going to make God everything in my life? Once again, choosing that. By the way, it's the last choice you make in the book. From that place on, you make one decision and then follow directions. So I made that choice. Now we come up to the ABCs. And now I have to make another decision. I'm sorry, I meet a requirement before I make my third step decision. What time is that, Troy? Okay. Here's what it gets down to. Am I convinced that any life run on self-will cannot work? Any life run on self-will cannot work. You know the line in the big book that says, "Selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of my trouble." It says I'm driven. Look up the word "driven." When you're being driven, you're not making choices. You're being driven. Driven. Lemo pulls up in front of the house. Jay walks out, gets in, driver turns around and says, Hi, Jay, my name's Fear, and I'm going to drive your ass today. <laughs> and he drives him all day long. Lets us him off that night, and the next day he gets in. Driver turns around and says, Hi, Jay, my name is Self-Seeking, and I'm going to drive you today, all day long. The next day, self Delusion. the next day, self-duty. Pity. is no choice when you're being driven by self-will. Again, if you don't believe me, just go back and look at the last year, choices you think you've made. And I submit to you, you've been driven by self-will. Last night, we had a, had a great meeting. There were several people there, and you know what a constant theme was? Well, I haven't had time for aid because I've been real busy working. You think that's a choice? No, you're being driven. Driven. Got to get more money. Got to get up. Got to go. Ain't time for God. I'm praying Don't want to help the got to Go, 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 go. Geez, <laughs> we wonder if people show up in meetings. I'm exhausted. About five minutes before the meeting's getting over, though. The engine's cranking. <laughs> got to go. Got to have more money. Let's go. Crank it up. Out the door. Ain't got time to work Go, go, go. Being driven. That's what the hell that means? Driven by self-hitting. So I come face to face with that. All my troubles are my own making. Greatest statement of hope in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, the reason alcoholics don't like that line, though, is because it pulls you out of being a victim. (laughs) Damn it. See, as long as I can blame you for any trouble, I take no responsibility for my life. None. Terrible way to go through life. Terrible way. All my troubles are my own making. I don't care what they are; they are my own making, and that's the greatest statement of hope. The greatest statement of hope. But goes on to talk about I. Above everything, I got to get rid of my selfishness. Those of you who've been sober for a while and haven't done any work with one through nine, I submit to you that what you're up against is your selfishness. Above everything, I must be rid of her. It kills me. You don't think they mean it kills us, do you? <laughs> huh? Gosh, they didn't mean that. What, what do you think they meant by that? Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully, in the theory of the life, I'm going to show you why it'll kill you. I'm going to show you why it almost killed me six months ago. Bullshit, three months ago. He says, above everything, I better get rid of myself, he says, or it kills me. Now, let me hook you back to taking a drink of alcohol and this selfishness. It comes from self will, which you can't do anything about. And so, here's the way it looks if it doesn't go away, The universe is not going to run according to your plan, and when that happens, you're going to become resentful and angry, and you're going to get blocked from the only thing that provides you with a defense, and page 52 will show up in your life, and you will get so uncomfortable that suddenly the thought will come to mind, it'd be nice to take a drink of alcohol to treat that, and you'll take a drink and activate a phenomenon called grave. That's why the book says, above everything, you better get rid of the selfishness or you die, and then it presents me with something very interesting. It says, Mark, you have moral and philosophical convictions galore, but I'm sorry, none of those will help you, Mark. It says on your own power, Mark, there's nothing you can do. Listen, I gonna tell you something about mercy and grace. Thank God that's the truth. Every one of us in this room, I guarantee you, in the last month, has harmed somebody. Or somebody's. Yeah, you too, Troy. Because of self-will. Because of self-will. Thank God. Thank God we didn't do that intention grace and mercy, forgiveness. So it says above everything, i got to have God's help. Now I know why I'm going to make my third step decision. You see, this chain from the first to the second to the third step gets me clear on why I have to have God's help. It says i got it, and then it tells me how I'm going to get it. I'm going to quit playing God. When you're in self-will, you're playing God. The bad news about that is we just don't have any power to pull that off. She doesn't do what I want. And they don't pay me enough. And there's people in front of me when I go down the road. and I mean, it's terrible. I deserve an open road. <laughs> if she would only act different, we're the kind of people that could be married to Joan of Arc and we'd be taking her inventory every day. <laughs> and you women, alcoholics, could be married to a saint and you'd be taking his. Why? Self will. Self will is never satisfied. Now I look at my third step decision, and it's at the bottom of page 62, and here's what it is. And I made this decision again six weeks ago, that from here on out, God, as I understand him, is going to direct my life. Then I'm the actor. He's the principal. I'm the agent. He's the father. I'm the child. The keystone of that spiritual arch. And then it gives me my wonderful third step promise. Being all powerful, he'll give me everything I need. The word want is not in there. I hate that part. I hate that part. Because my self-will is always about want. God's will is about need. If I stay close to him and perform his work well, if I'm blocked to him by self-will, I cannot stay close to him and I cannot perform his work well, I will perform my work well. And the problem is, that isn't how the universe works. Those of you who have some experience with the men know what I'm talking about. And then it comes up to that incredible third step prayer. The prayer is not the decision. The decision is on the bottom of page 62. The prayer is an affirmation of my decision based on what I saw in the first three steps today. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and you do with me as you want. I forget that all the time. Think Think of the implication of the words of God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and you do with me as you want. Who? Relieve me of the bondage of self. The selfishness that's going to kill every one of us in this room. Relieve me of the bondage of self so I can do your will. Because when I'm in bondage to self-will, all I'm worried about is myself. Take away my difficulties. The victory over them can bear witness to those I would help. God, of your power, your love, and your way of life. That's all I'm doing here today. I'm bearing witness to you of God's power, God's love, God's way of life. I told you at the beginning how my self willed, how we did, right? (laughs) And then I've been talking to you and bearing witness to you of his power, his love, his way of life. May I do thy will always. No amen behind that prayer. Why? Because the steps three through seven are hooked. They're linked. The steps are a circle. The amen comes at the end of the seventh step prayer. What time do you get? What? 320. Okay. I want to point out a couple things in inventory and then, uh, then we're going to take a break. And then we're going to come back in and then we're going to have a lot of fun with inventory. I hope that I can change, uh, do a mind shift with some of you. Inventory is fun. Inventory is fun. Inventory is fun. We were talking about this, talking with my friend Mark. Got a great name. He's got a better chance than some of you. <laughs> And here's what he said to me. Now, he's made a decision to be an agent of God. Look up the word agent. Look up the word agent. It means empowered. Empowered. We are made in his image. You make that decision and do that work, you are empowered by God. You are an agent of God. Here's his belief system. Right that inventory is a lot of work. If he's an agent for God, that will, he will have to manifest that. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? An agent for God, if your belief system is... And then then he said to me, and I almost fell off my chair, he said, you know, working these steps is really hard. And I said, Martin, do you remember back when you were drinking a little alcohol, doing a little dope?" Yeah. That's hard! (laughs) I I don't know how the rest of you drank. Or did dope. I'll tell you how I did. I had a shrine. So did you. And on there was your drug of no choice that you think is your drug of choice. (laughs) alcohol or whatever else and every morning I went up to it and I said holy whiskey take me anywhere you want I turn my will and life over to you isn't that the God awful truth we come into this program and we're shown a simple clear precise way to have a revolutionary spiritual experience and he says to me but there's too much work
1: <laughs> no ego going on in him
0: is there see when you think you're God you don't have to do it Wow, you see what he's up against? Do you see what he's fighting? You follow me? Think about it. Anything this program has asked me to do is like kissing the baby's butt compared to what whiskey asked me to do. <laughs> makes sense? Do you see what happens when you get moved away from step one? It looks like it's hard work, right? I mean, inventory. From start to finish, you'll be lucky if you got 10 hours in it. That's one day of drinking. We drag it on for months. We go years and don't do it. It's hard work. Now, inventory is fun. Inventory is fun. Inventory is fun. Why? Because I'm going to face and be rid of the things that have me blocked from new power. Peace, happiness, sense of direction. That's why it's fun. That's why it's fun. When I do theater of the lie, I'm going to show you how much fun it can be. But I, even more importantly, I want to show you what you're up against if you don't. You know, there's a line in the Big Book. You've all read it. Alcohol is but a symptom, right? And then it says we're going to get down to causes and conditions. And then we're going to close on this and then we'll come back. Definition of causes. So when they say alcohol is but a symptom, that means that alcohol is not my problem, right? Definition of causes. It's a person event, or condition responsible for an action or result. And the definition of condition is the particular mode or state of being of a person. And I want to show you... Some different states of being when we get back that is what you're trying to look at in inventory that is ultimately what will take us back to getting drunk or create misery in our life. Page 52. So we'll look at that. So we'll see you in 15 minutes.